Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. Good morning. Welcome. So glad that you are with us wherever you're tuning in from. This morning, would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be looking at three chapters this morning, all looking at the temple. The temple. So while you're doing that, I want to remind you that at the end of our service, really immediately following the sermon, we're going to transition into our time of communion. It's such a big part of how we do church at Whitefield. It's so important to us because what it does, it reminds us, it recenters us on the gospel every time. It shapes our hearts to appreciate what Jesus has done for us. So we recently began a new series here at Whitefields called Desiring the Kingdom. And this is our study of first and second kings. Now you might be asking the question, why are we studying First and Second Kings? I mean, these are books that tell the story of the history of Israel, but what does that have to do with us today here in Colorado in the 21st century? You know, what does that have to do with coronavirus right now? I mean, why are we studying these books in particular? And that's a good question. There's an even better answer. The reason we are studying these books is because we believe that the whole Bible is inspired by God and is profitable for us to grow into the people he wants us to be. And here's the other thing we believe about the Bible. The Bible is not just a collection of random stories which give us various insights into God. The Bible is something much better than that. The Bible is one unified story which is all about Jesus. One unified story which is all about Jesus. It is the story of how God has acted and is acting in history in order to redeem us and to redeem the world from the curse of sin and death. And so as we study First and Second Kings, we're doing so intentionally with an eye towards how these books point us to the eternal king and his eternal kingdom, Jesus Christ, our savior, and the kingdom that is to come. So if you'd please read along with me, our passage that we're going to read is 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, and then verses 11 through 14. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Verse 11, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we ask that as we study your word, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would bless us. Lord, we ask that you would give us insight, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see glorious things in your word. Lord, help us to be inspired, but we also ask, Lord, that in areas of our lives where we need it, that you would challenge us, that you would speak into areas of our lives that need to be addressed, and Lord, that you would teach us, encourage us, and shape and direct the direction of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself doing something 
but you can't remember why you started doing that thing in the first place. Some of you are like, yes, that happens every time I go into the kitchen. I get the kitchen, and then I'm like, why did I come here in the first place? I can't remember. Now, as people, we can have that habit sometimes in, in more significant areas of our lives as well. We can get into habits and routines to the point where we can actually forget the reason and the purpose behind why we are doing those things in the first place. I found a good example of this in a story which was told by a pastor named Chuck Swindoll. It's a true story. He tells the story of a time when he visited a restaurant called the Church of God Grill. He says, uh, here's what he says. He says, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages, which for anyone my age or younger is what we used to call the internet before the internet existed. So the yellow pages, and he said, in the listing of restaurants, there was an entry for a place called the Church of God Grill. Now the peculiar name aroused my curiosity, so I dialed the number and a man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. I asked, how did this restaurant get such an unusual name? And he told me, well, it originally started out as a church, and the church needed to make ends meet. So we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sundays to help pay the bills. Well, people really liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that we actually had to cut back on some of our Bible studies, and eventually we cut back on Sunday services as well because we had to accommodate all the orders that were coming in. And after a while, we just shut down the church, but we kept serving the chicken dinners, and we decided to keep our name. That's why we're called Church of God Grill. It's a perfect example of how you can get busy doing things and forget the purpose, the reason behind why you're doing those things in the first place. And that is a great example of what happened with the Jewish temple that was built in Jerusalem by King Solomon. Here in 1 Kings chapters 5 through 7, we read about the construction of the temple by Solomon. But if you read through the rest of the Bible, what you'll find is that over time, the people of Israel got so busy doing things in the temple that they lost sight of the purpose of the temple. In fact, by the time of Jesus, for sure, the people of Israel were more infatuated with and focused on the temple of God than they were with the God of the temple. Here in 1 Kings, we read about the building of the temple. It's important for us to notice here as we look at it and we see it built, we need to see the purpose for which the temple was built. And here's what we're going to see. And this is a sentence. You can write it down. You can take note of it. You can memorize it. Here's what I want you to know. The temple was a place for people to get a glimpse of heaven and a picture of who we become in Christ. The title of today's message is A Temple for the Living God. And the way we're going to look at this passage is we're going to take that sentence I just said, and we're going to look at all three points in that sentence. Those will be our three points for our sermon. We're going to break it into three parts. So the temple was, first of all, a place for people. It was a place for people to do what? To get a glimpse of heaven. And it was also a picture of who we become in Christ. So the first one of those, the temple was a place for people. First Kings 5 verse 1 tells us this. It tells us about, it kind of takes us back in time, in the way back machine. It takes us back to the early days of Solomon's reign as king of Israel. And it tells us that at that time, a king named Hiram, who was the king of Tyre, sent a delegation from Tyre, which is modern day Lebanon, just to the north of Israel. He sent a delegation from Lebanon to congratulate Solomon on being crowned as king. And so in verse two of chapter five, 
Solomon sees this delegation and he sends word with the delegation to speak to their king. And he says, hey, could you give this message to your king? And we read that message starting in verse two. Here's what he says. You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build a th- the house for my name. Now therefore, command the cedars of Lebanon to be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. Okay, the idea to build a temple was birthed or began in the heart and mind of King David, Solomon's father. He wanted to build a temple to replace the tabernacle. For 500 years, the tabernacle had been Israel's place of worship. It was a place where they made sacrifices. It was a place where they came at special times of year to honor the Lord and worship him. And what the tabernacle was, it was a portable church. It was literally a tent. Now, it was an elaborate tent. It was a beautiful tent. It was a sturdy tent. It had to be. It held up through their wanderings through the desert, all the way from Mount Sinai through the desert into the land of Canaan and the conquest of Canaan. And we're told that that was almost 500 years there in chapter 6, verse 1. It's been 500 years now that they've been worshiping in the tabernacle, but now they're settled in the land. And the fact is, no matter how good you take care of your tent, after 500 years, your tent's going to be pretty worn out. And so David has this idea. He's going to replace the tabernacle with a temple, which would function the same way the tabernacle did. It would be built to the same um, measurements and everything, but it would be a permanent structure now that they are permanently settled in the land. And it would have the same function as the tabernacle. It would be a place of worship, but it would also be a central point for the nation there in Jerusalem. Great idea, right? There's only one problem. The problem is that David was a wartime leader, a wartime leader. And that's what God tells him. You're a man of war. You can't build the temple. This is found back, by the way, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, for those of you who want to go and check that out. So not only was David disqualified from building a temple because he was a man who had blood on his hands as a man of war, but there was also a very important logistical issue. And the logistical issue is simply this, that this was a project which required all hands on deck for several years. What we see here in chapter 5 is that not even in Israel were there enough workers. They had to go and hire workers from Tyre, which is Lebanon in the north. And so it doesn't make any sense to get into a big project like this that requires your entire labor force when your nation is at war, or at least facing the threat of war from outside forces. And so God had told David, no, David, not you, but one of your sons will be the one to build this temple. So here we are, 1 Kings chapter 5. Solomon is now king of Israel. The nation is experiencing a time of peace. They're no longer at war, and so now it's time to build the temple. And we're told, by the way, in 1 Chronicles, which is an interesting read. If you read 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, along with 1 and 2 Kings, you get some contributing kind of complementary information. So we see in 1 Chronicles that David had drawn up the plans, and he had created most of the elements to be used in the temple, and he handed those over to Solomon. So here we are, 1 Kings chapter 5. Solomon is now king, and he starts to make arrangements to build the temple and carry out these plans. 
Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here from Whitefields Church in Longmont, and we are excited to announce the Northern Front Range Calvary Chapel Men's Conference taking place on May 19th and 20th, hosted at Whitefields Community Church. This year's theme is A New Man from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll begin the conference on Friday, May 19th at 6.30 p.m. with a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship, and we'll end on Saturday early afternoon with a steak lunch. The cost is $25 per person. Speakers include Eric Cartier, Paul Boutan, Randy Golden, and spaces are limited, so register soon at whitefieldschurch.com under events. We look forward to seeing you there. Now back to today's message. Here in chapter 5, what we see is that he makes an agreement with the king of Tyre to buy cedar wood from Lebanon. If you look at the flag of Lebanon to this day, it has a cedar tree on it. You know, you often think of the Middle East as being a really deserty place, but the country of Lebanon is like 0% desert. It's all big forests, and most famously, the cedars of Lebanon. And so they, they say, hey, we want the best wood from that place, and we want the best workmen to work on it. So they hire these laborers and buy this wood. Now, there's something important I want you to notice as we study through this. Remember, our first point here is this. The temple was a place for people. Look at how Solomon refers to the temple in verse 5. He says, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Notice, he doesn't say a house for God. He says a house for the name of God. Now, that's an important difference because it shows us that Solomon understands that this building is not going to confine God. You know, many of the pagan religions at that time believed that their gods literally lived in their temples. But no, 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 this is different. God wants us to understand he's a free-range God. He's not confined to buildings in that way. So this is not going to be the sole dwelling place and location of God's dwelling. Rather, this will be a memorial to God. It will be a memorial to the name of God, a place dedicated to the worship of God where people will come to honor God and worship him. See, God's promise that we read just a minute ago as we began our time here in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 13, God's promise was this. He says in verse 13 that he will dwell among the people of Israel. So God was careful to point out that he will not dwell in the temple in the same way that pagan gods were thought to live in their temples, but he will dwell among the people. That's where his dwelling place is found. It's interesting because when you compare this with Paul the Apostle, in Acts chapter 17, we read about how Paul the Apostle traveled around the world preaching the gospel, planting churches on his missionary journeys. Well, at one point, he comes to the city of Athens. And there in Athens, which of course is the hub, the center of Greek pagan religion and philosophy, Paul, when he gets the chance to talk to the people of that city about Jesus, he immediately wants to point out the difference between their gods and his God. And here's what he says in Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything." See, the temple that Solomon was building for God, this wasn't a special place for God to dwell. Rather, this was a special place for humans to encounter God. 
See, that's the first thing we understand about the temple. The temple was a place for God, or uh, sorry, a place for people. God didn't need the temple. People needed the temple. And so Paul goes on there in Acts 17 to explain to the people of Athens who this God is and, and what, why he has created them. He says this, God does not dwell in temples made by human hands, but rather it is in him that we live and move and have our being. And then Paul tells him this, this God is the one who created you and he is the one who sustains your life every moment and his purpose in creating you. And he says this, the times and the seasons and the of the boundaries of your habitation. In other words, the situations, the circumstances of your life. Why are you here where you are right now? Why were you born into the family you were born into in this time in history? Why? He tells us, because he wants you to seek him and find him. Seek him and find him. Again, have you wondered, of all the places in the world where you could have been born, of all the periods in history that you could have been born into, why were you born in the place and the time that you were? The reason it tells us here in Acts 17 in the Bible is this. The purpose of why God created you and placed you in the exact circumstances that he did is this reason, so that you would seek him and find him. Paul says there in Acts 17 to the people of Athens, God is not actually far away from you. He is right there with you, wherever you are. He is right there, right now. He is not a faraway, distant God. And all you have to do to enter into relationship with him, to experience communion with him, is to humbly acknowledge him and to receive his grace by faith. Because it says there in Acts 17 that there is a day coming when we will all stand before God. We will all stand before God and our actions here on earth will be judged by God. But God has made a way for us to be forgiven, saved, redeemed, justified through the one who he has appointed is what Paul calls him. And he says, this one he has appointed, Jesus Christ, whom he confirmed by raising him up from the dead. That is the good news of the gospel. So the temple wasn't just a, a house for God. Rather, it, it wasn't a house for God at all in the sense that God's presence was limited to that place or that it was only found in that location. And yet, God's presence was there in a special way. We're going to see that a lot next week in chapter 8 when we look at the way that the glory of God filled the temple. And we're going to talk about what that means for us, by the way. So make sure you tune in for that. But God didn't need that building for himself. The building, rather, was a tool for the people to grow in relationship with God. It was a tool for the people to grow in relationship with God. Notice what God says to Solomon in chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, as we read it. It says, The word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house you're building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word, which I spoke to your father, David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and not forsake my people Israel. Notice, God doesn't even mention the building, does he? He doesn't mention the building. God talks to Solomon about Solomon's heart and Solomon's life. God talks about how he wants Solomon to walk with him and to know him and to give his life to him. In other words, the Lord is saying, Solomon, I'm not as concerned about building this building as I am concerned about building you. See, if this building serves that purpose of building you and helping you in relationship with me, then it has succeeded in its purpose. But as soon as it doesn't serve that purpose, 
I don't need the building. And the same thing is true for church buildings, guys. You know, a, a church building can never become the focus of a church. And I say that as a church who has just moved into a building. We've wanted this for a long time, and we're here. But I'll tell you this. A building is only useful in so much as it facilitates people growing in the knowledge of God and being equipped in relationship with God, being sent out to do the work of God, only if it's a tool for ministry and helping people have fellowship with God and with other believers. Again, we just recently moved into this building after years of doing church in a gym. If there's anybody who knows that it's not about the building, it should be us, right? And it's so important that we never lose that focus. A building is a tool, and that's it. It's like the family car. That's what I've been telling you guys these last several weeks. The family car is not the point of the family. You don't get a family so that you can buy a car. That would be ridiculous. No, the, the family car is a tool that a family uses to meet the needs of the family. And as your family grows, you might need to upgrade from a coupe to a minivan and then to that big nine-passenger van as well, right, if you get a little crazy with it so you can fit in some more kids. Because what you don't want to do is have to choose which kids you're going to leave behind because they don't fit in the car, right? So at some point, you got to upgrade to the van. That's what this building is. But the family car is only helpful as long as it helps you get where you need to go. If it takes you somewhere, then it's helpful. But if the family car, right, if the whole purpose of your family is taking care of the family car rather than being a tool that your family can use to help you as a family, then you've lost the purpose and you've missed the point. So the temple was that way as well. The temple was important, See, that's the thing I want you to understand. We can't get to the other point, the other extreme here, where we say the temple didn't matter, church doesn't matter, buildings don't matter. The temple was important. Yes, God is everywhere, but the temple mattered. It was important as a place for the people. Sometimes I hear people say things like this, right? They'll say, hey, well, if God's everywhere, then why go to church? I go fishing. That's my church. Fishing by the lake. That's my church. When I'm hiking, that's where I experience God. That's my church. Hey, listen, I'm telling you this as somebody who loves the outdoors. I spend as much time in the mountains as I possibly can, but that is no replacement, nor can it ever be a replacement for worshiping and studying together as a church community. Now, on the one hand, God made sure the people understood that he is not limited to the temple. And yet, remember this, God required the people to come to the temple over and over and over throughout the year, no matter how far away they lived or had to travel to get there. They had to come there to make offerings and to make sacrifices. They had to come there to hear the law read aloud. They had to come there for feasts and festivals. But the purpose of all of those activities was always and only to facilitate relationship with God. It was to teach the people. It was to shape their hearts so that they would understand who God was and who they were in relation to him and what it meant and what it required for them to be in relationship with him. And the same is true of the church. So God wasn't limited to the temple, but the temple was a place for people to grow in relationship with God. So that brings us to our second point. We're walking through this sentence. Remember, the temple was a place for people to get a glimpse of heaven. That's the other thing it was. It was a place for people to get a glimpse of heaven. At the end of chapter 5, and then getting into chapter 6, we see the actual construction of the temple. And then in chapter 7, we see some of the items that were created, um, buildings that were built around the temple, and some items that were created for use in the temple. 
Now, the temple followed the same basic design as the tabernacle, with a few exceptions, and we see those exceptions in chapter 6. For example, Solomon added on to the plans for the tabernacle by putting a vestibule or an entryway on the front of the temple. He also added a three-storied colonnade portico that went around the temple itself. But the temple itself was not a particularly large building. You know, you think about our church building right now, 23,000 square feet. The temple, 2,700 square feet. It was 90 feet long. It was 30 feet wide. And it was 45 feet high. So it was, it was much taller than it was wide. And it was divided into two rooms. And those two rooms were divided by a thick curtain that was about three to three and a half inches thick sometimes called the veil. And those two rooms were called the holy place and the most holy place. Sometimes it's also called the holy of holies. So that first place, the holy place, in that room, there were a few items. One of the items was a lampstand. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.